0: The Ewan Grant Podcast, The Limestone Coast Triple M. G'day, it's Ewan. Welcome to the Ewan Graham podcast and welcome to everyone joining me on the listener app. Limestone Coasters, in today's podcast we get to talk a little bit about the budget. We get to talk about COVID-19 because numbers are spiking in the Limestone Coast and because everything's a little serious this morning in our podcast we get to have a little bit of fun as well. Shane A is going to talk movies and Oscars after the week that was. Let's get things underway. Tony Passant joins me to talk all things budget after the budget was handed down by Josh Frydenberg during the course of the week. Tony Passing, good morning.
1: Good morning, Ewan, and good morning to your listeners.
0: Mate, first of all, what is your initial interpretation of Josh Frydenberg's budget?
1: Well, um, this is a budget that skates a fine line, you know. Um, Your listeners are dealing with cost of living pressures right now, and so it provides relief in the now. Uh, It sets a long-term economic plan for the future. It underpins record investment in essential services like education, health, uh, disability, and in, given um, what we're seeing in the Ukraine um, and in our own region, it uh, facilitates record expenditure and investment in our defence and national security capability. So it's, uh, it's seeking to address some issues right now, but it's also setting a plan for the strategic and long term.
0: Tony, there's some good news for the Limestone Coast in this week's budget?
1: Yeah, there is. So if I'm talking in general sense, if someone's listening to this um, and is about to go and fill up um, their car with fuel, there will be a 22% reduction in fuel excises. Now, that's effective immediately, but will flow over the next two weeks as fuel proprietors fill up their tanks. Uh, If someone's listening to this uh, and is earning less than $120,000 a year they will receive the low and middle income tax offset, um, which will now total $1,500 or $3,000 for a couple. Uh, if retirees, pensioners, job seekers, concession card holders, carers, veterans are listening, there's a $250 cash payment, which is in addition to indexation they've received. But in particular for the Limestone Coast, the, the, um, if I want to really localise last night's budget, uh, two things stand out for me. First is another round of local roads and community infrastructure funding which means the City of Mount Gambier and the District Council of Grant can expect close to uh, a total of a million dollars between them towards local roads and community infrastructure projects. So this is the program that's now provided uh, four rounds of funding and has seen a significant investment in projects that councils wouldn't be able to get to but for effectively the economic stimulus that's come from the Commonwealth. Mm. And something that perhaps I'm one of the very few people celebrating uh, this morning because it's deeply embedded in the budget. It's hard to find, but I know it's there because I fought to get it in there. And that's DGR1 status for community foundations. So you and that means Stand Like Stone now gets to play with the big guys in the sense that. Whether you make a donation to Stanlike Stone or the Cancer Council of Australia, you get the same tax deductibility. Uh, and that sounds like a really small thing, but it is a massive thing for Stan Like Stone and community foundations, so much so that they've worked with me, conservatively I'd say, over five years to convince Treasury that this was a decision worth making. And once I got that concession, I was able to convince my colleagues that we should invest in community foundations in that way.
0: Tony, we uh, we get to talk each and every budget about uh, our national debt. I'm someone who is freaked out by our national debt, but I understand we've lived through a pandemic. We've we've got to have uh, a a debt. Do you think the debt that we're covering at the moment is uh, is sustainable, or, or do we need to work harder to get that back down?
1: Well, the reality is. Um, it- the way we get that debt down is that we grow the economy and we drive down unemployment. So those two things are happening right now. We're seeing growth increase, we're seeing unemployment decreases at 4%. It's likely to get to 3.75%. That means in terms of uh, payments uh, on a fortnightly basis that the Commonwealth has to make to individual Australians, they're at an all-time low and we're seeing wages strengthen which we'll see a dividend in terms of taxes over the long um, term. Now, um, notwithstanding the significant investment to address cost of living and defence issues in this budget, gross debt will peak now earlier and lower than it was previously expected. Now, that basically says that the total, the maximum amount we'll owe as a nation will get to there um, um, sooner uh, and it'll be lower than expected. Now, those things are excellent because once you get to peak debt, uh, and and it's lower than it was anticipated, you can start r- repaying that debt as quickly as possible and you can only repay that debt as quickly as possible by having a strong economy. And, you, you know, it's hard to believe with an unemployment level at 4%, but we are not that far from what was a potential recession in Australia. Recall we had a um, some very um, slow quarters of growth. We had a negative quarter of growth, but we have rebounded, Uh, in effectively 12 months which the last time we had a recession of this nature it took us 10 to 12 years and so we're confident that because of programs like JobKeeper and other investments we made into the economy during the pandemic and dealing with the issues in and around um, uh, the consequences of the pandemic that we'll have a stronger economy quicker and we'll recover as a result of it and so uh, we're in a position to be addressing uh, cost of living issues, the strategic issues um, uh, in circumstances where we wouldn't have been had we not taken really strong and bold decisions in and around the pandemic.
0: Tony, final question for you. The budget is obviously traversing a fine line with uh, with the inflation that we're seeing at the moment. Do you think it does enough to, uh, to keep us under control and, and to, to, I suppose, make sure our, our, our standard of living continues the way that we have seen it over the last couple of years?
1: Well, you're right. Um, you know, and it does seek to balance a fine line—a fine line between supporting Australians who are dealing with cost of living pressures, uh, continuing the recovery, but not effectively releasing the hounds of inflation. I'm very concerned about that prospect. Um, you know, people are starting to forecast two and three percent increases in interest rates over eighteen to twenty-four months. Now, that would be a significant hit on people's costs of living, noting that people's principal commitment every month is their mortgage. And that's why this stimulus in this budget is targeted, it's measured, but most importantly, it's time-limited. We're talking about six months' worth of cost of living relief because we're hoping that in that time, global circumstances are changed such that fuel returns to where it was uh, pre the war in Ukraine and the COVID um issues around supply trains will have gone away and we can return to what whatever is the new normal
0: tony pearson is the member for barker and uh well the budget was handed down during the course of the week and that is just a snapshot of what is in the budget for us not only in the limestone coast but right the way across the country it's time to talk movies limestone coasters oscars were on on monday everybody is talking about one particular issue shane a joins me on the line to talk movies shane good morning
2: Good morning, Ewan. Yeah, I knew something interesting might happen at the Oscars, as it does every year, but uh, not quite what I expected.
0: No, no, I understand. And look, it took the focus away from some really amazing uh, events that did take place at the Oscars, one of which was the movie Coda taking away so many awards.
2: Yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm surprised in one way because most Oscar winners are never released until later in the year. Uh, and I remember seeing Coda when it got released on Apple TV back in around August from memory last year and was raving about it then. I knew that it would probably get some kind of award recognition. And, and there you go, it got the ultimate prize. And it's a great film. If you haven't seen it, Ewan and all our listeners, uh, check it out because it's emotional, it's funny. It's just a beautiful movie and deserved to be best picture.
0: And even if you if you didn't watch the Oscars, if you go back and take a look at the clips where Coda won the the Oscars that it did, they are beautiful moments in Oscar history.
2: That's true, actually. Yeah, I think a lot of that had to do with the the, the director and marley matlin who had a lot to do with the movie the making of it the producing of it marley matlin is a former oscar winner uh at the time when she won the oscar for the children of the lesser god in the 80s uh, she was unable to to speak she learned how to speak and she spoke one year at the oscars and that moved me to tears and now she's in films where she can speak and sign at the same time uh yeah it's a beautiful movie and you're right those those speeches and and those moments were, were terrific and totally deserved.
0: And, mate, I, I've got to say, um, the the moment at the Oscars at the end when Coda was named the best picture, when yep. Liza Minnelli and um, Lady, Gaga. Lady Gaga were on stage together, just incredible.
2: Yeah, they were incredible and and heartwarming, and it was great to see a, a legend on screen because I am a fan of Liza Minnelli. Even the comedy Arthur with Dudley Moore, she did. I saw that as a kid, had a laugh in that. But, uh, yeah, it was also sad at the same time because, you know, she, she wasn't well. Uh, I know Lady Gaga had her back, and it was a nice little moment, but it was also a little sad as well, in a, in a sense. Hmm. Now, we get to talk some movies this morning, not just Oscars.
0: There's lots of things to see. Um <laughs> I'm I'm counting down the days to the
2: next Oscar.
0: (laughs) What are you talking about? It's only 360 odd days away. (laughs) 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 Mate, tell me all about Morbius.
2: Morbius. Well, not a lot to tell other than uh, it's from the same Marvel universe as Spider-Man. So there's links, including Michael Keaton, who revives his uh, Spider-Man character uh, in previous films. And we've got Jared Leto, who plays a doctor. He ends up with this very rare blood condition, decides to uh, experiment on himself, fix himself up. But that doesn't go quite right, and he turns into a, a, like a, a super villain, so to speak. And good special effects. I like Jared Leto. Good cast. Uh, not really a, a superhero movie for kids, but, that, you know, it was something different. I liked it.
0: Now, mate, other movies to talk about. I cannot believe that Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is out, although I did like Sonic the Hedgehog, the original movie.
2: That's why Sonic the Hedgehog 2 (laughs) has been made, Ewan, because people like you never thought it would be any good, and it was. It was pretty funny. And I don't like video game movies in general at all, but it was funny. Jim Carrey, who hadn't acted in big big movies for quite some time before the first Sonic the Hedgehog, and uh, he... He blitzed it. He's very good in this as well. Idris Elba joins the cast. No, no, nothing to tell about storyline. It's just a lot of flashing lights and, and animated characters interacting with uh, actors, real-life actors. Now kids mate, will love
0: it. Speaking of things kids will love, tell me all about the bad guys.
2: Yeah, another quick uh, quick one here. It's uh, in time for the school holidays, which are coming up. The Bad Guys is about a group of menacing animals who uh, are all pretty bad, but they want to become good. They become friends and try and do some good in the world. Uh, lots of fun, good music, and typical kids' fair for Easter holidays.
0: Hey, Shane, always good to catch up. Thanks for joining us this morning. We'll talk next week. Cheers, Dylan. Bye. Limestone Coasters, I have got Dr Elaine Pretorius on the line to talk a little bit about COVID because with COVID-19 outbreaks in Mount Gambier and Narracourt, they've triggered a return to restrictions at hospitals and aged care sites. Elaine, good morning. Morning, Ewan. Elaine, there've been some changes in in regards to health in the Limestone Coast over the last couple of days. Uh, That is because of an increase in COVID-19 within our community. How much COVID... Uh, or how many COVID cases do we have running around at the moment? Do we know?
3: Yes, Ewan, it's it's a little bit disappointing that we had to put in the restrictions, and I'll explain a little bit about our thinking in a moment. Mm. So at the moment, we think there are about 730 cases across the Limestone Coast that are active. Um, probably about two weeks ago, I would have said to you that we're seeing about 30 new cases a day being diagnosed, Now it's much higher than that and it's probably closer to 200 a day being diagnosed. So the the numbers are climbing very quickly. I am worried that um, we're probably underestimating the um, incidence in the community. Um, I don't think everybody is being tested. I don't think everybody is reporting their rapid antigen testing. Um, And so I think there is a little bit of underestimation. We are seeing quite a bit um, of increase in presentations to our emergency departments um, of COVID positive people and um, we've also seen quite an increase in some outbreaks in schools and some gyms and of course amongst our staff as well. So when we look at, at, at how things are going, there are four parameters that we look at the COVID community cases, then the number of cases in our COVID ward at the Mount Gambier Hospital. We also look at how many people in the community are under the care of our community COVID team. So these are people who are well enough to be at home but are at risk for deterioration because of you know, a number of other conditions that they have, comorbidities. So we do keep an eye on them and keep in touch And then the fourth measure is our own staffing um, numbers. And on all four of those parameters, in the last sort of week, we have seen an uptick. And because of those sort of warning signs, we have taken the decision to restrict visitors. And we've also asked our staff to resume their daily antigen testing. Um, And um, we've also sort of... um, uh, increase the capacity of our COVID ward again. Um, these these measures hopefully will be short term, but it does just allow us a little bit of breathing space to control those things that we can. The last thing we want you is for things to to worsen so quickly that we have to limit, um, you know, ser- services like our outpatient services or our elective surgery. So we took the very difficult decision on Tuesday to just restrict visitors and bring some other restrictions back in for our community teams um, so that we can just control it, take a breath and hopefully not see any further deterioration. Talking to Elaine Petorius this morning
0: from the Mount Gambier Hospital all about uh, what is going on with COVID in our community at the moment. Elaine, we've just got to remember that COVID isn't gone from our world and that we we need to do all that is possible to, to keep ourselves safe,
3: yes? Absolutely. Um, I know that the community is exhausted and I know that lots of people just want to say, can we just get on with our lives? And for most of us, that is possible. But there are many people in the community that remain vulnerable um, to COVID. And if they were to acquire COVID, it would be um, a dreadful experience. The risk of hospitalisation, the risk of death remains high for some people. We also have seen the enormous impact it has on Schools and on businesses and on our economy, on our staffing levels, whether that's in a in a business or in a hospital. So, um, still being really sensible, I think, is an important health message. Vaccination remains important for people older than 65 years. From the 4th of April, we're talking about a booster shot again. So that would be a fourth dose. Mm. There is evidence that immunity does wane after the third dose. With um, winter on the way, with the BA2 variant of Omicron, it does look as if for immunocompromised and elderly, that fourth dose is necessary. So as of the 4th of April, would really encourage people to take up the opportunity to be boosted again. Then there are sensible things like when you're in a poorly ventilated area, even when the mask mandates do disappear, to still consider the physical distancing. Um, and you'll probably see me out and about in Mount Gambia with a mask on when I think that there is a risk for, um, you know, a lot of people in a small area. And um, then, of course, not going to work when one is unwell. In the past, we used to soldier on, but I think it's now very clear that, you know, staying at home and, and um, preventing infection of the wider community is very important. Um, and then also availing oneself of the flu vax. Um, we're probably expecting that this year there will be quite a bit of co-infection with both influenza and COVID. So also doing your bit for the community in having your flu vax is important. So we're not going to, um, you know, probably be shutting down as much as we did in the past. But I think there are still some public health messages that we can all stick to uh, to protect our community and our nearest and dearest.
0: Hey, Elaine, I've got to ask the question. Uh, your health professionals in the Limestone Coast have been dealing with this for two years. It must be incredibly hard and a, and a huge mental strain. How are people coping in our health services?
3: Look, I think it it varies. Um, you know, we, we perk up every now and then. When the sun is out and it's nice and warm, then one can face everything. We are a little bit worried about winter and what winter is going to bring. Um, I think our staff very very tired. We've also had the issue with you know um, a, a number of vacancies. On top of that, staff being off either because they have COVID themselves or because kids have COVID and they have to stay at home for that, and all of those things do accumulate to also um, you know make us a little bit tired. We've also seen that members of the community have been quite aggressive towards our staff and that always makes me a little bit sad and a little bit cross, you know, because each of us are just trying our best um, and I'd ask the community to be gentle with our staff as well.
0: Empathy. It's all about empathy.
3: Yes, it's about being kind. Having said that, as I've said to you before, you and they make me so incredibly proud to be part of the Limestone Coast Network because um, these people are incredible and so committed to our community. So um, just a shout out to our team who work very hard.
0: Hey, Elaine, we'll catch up over the next week or so. We'll talk a little bit more about what COVID's doing in our community. Thank you, as always, for taking the time out to have a chat to us today.
3: Lovely. Thank you very much, Ewan.
0: That's it for today's podcast. I'll be back on Tuesday for everything Limestone Coast. You can catch up with me live on the radio, 6 a.m. weekday mornings on the Limestone Coast, 963 Triple M.